You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at SOH. Dot church and download our mobile app. A lot of you already have, so send it to someone else. Tell somebody else to download the app, but there's a great digital Bible on there. There is all of our teachings and an awesome online community that you can interact with every day. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, leave a five-star review, turn on your notifications. I know I'm asking a lot, but it helps us to move everything forward because we don't want you to miss anything and we want more folks to study the Bible with us. We are still in Matthew 21. It is a hearty chapter, which I know I've said the last couple days, but it's true. Jesus enters Jerusalem with triumph and cheers and palms and people laying cloaks on the ground, acknowledging him as king. And then he stirs up some stuff in the temple, flipping the tables over, and then we see him performing miracles, healing people as he always does, uh, and you know performing a miracle with the fig tree, which really signified and set up from this point uh, what we're going to see throughout Matthew twenty-one, Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. Everything that we're studying here has implications in the area of eschatology. Eschatology, study of ology, esca, and we are witnessing via the scriptures the end of the age, right? The generation where there would be the full transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, we are fully in the new covenant. So, my prayer is that as we go through these next couple days, that you have ears to hear and eyes to see. And that I am able to do a good job at, in, in in teaching this. And I say that not because I'm not confident in it. I, I am. But it, this is a very pivotal time in Scripture. And it's also often misunderstood and misread. So my prayer is that we have ears to hear. If you're just with wherever you are, just say, Lord, give me ears to hear your word uh, and He will do that. He will do that. Listen, God says it like this. If anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks answers, what? Just ask. God is not trying to withhold information from us. He wants us to know the truth. Amen? So we are in uh, Matthew chapter 21, and we see an escalation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it starts out with them going ahead and ultimately challenging his authority, which sparks a conversation that leads to what? Leads to two parables. Yesterday, we studied the parable of the two sons, where Jesus gave the example of two sons. One son who, who you know, the landowner, uh, the father, excuse me, said, hey, go and work in the field. And the first son says, no, I won't, and then ultimately does, right? Does not obey the father, and then ultimately has a change of heart and obeys the father. The other son, what, says yes, but then doesn't obey the father. And you, we 
as we studied, he is really contrasting the religious leaders of that time who, and we hear it in a previous chapter, right? Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Talking about the religious leaders of that time, the leadership that God set into place to govern and to do his work. He says, your, your words are for me, but your heart is far from me. Why? Because what we believe inside manifests itself on the outside. Yes, through our words, but also through our deeds. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they were not being good examples of God here on earth, right? So they are the second son. And before we start pointing fingers, sometimes we can be the second son too, right? We go to church, we do everything, we go through the motions, but we fall short in really walking out our faith. But Jesus points to the first son and says what? Harlots and, and tax collectors and all these people, ultimately what? The Gentiles too. They would inherit the kingdom of God and take the torch forward. Why? Because they are like the ones who said who disobeyed at first, but then said, you know what? I'm going to follow you and I'm going to obey the Father. And the, and the beauty of that, how we left off yesterday, is that we can say that it's not how we start, it's how we finish. So whatever happened yesterday back doesn't matter. What matters is choose to follow him today. Well, now the same conversation, it's important to know that, even though sometimes we read Scripture in bite-sized pieces, we have to understand that it is a continuation here. So this conversation continues, right? Jesus is talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, to religious leaders that are challenging him. So he gives them that parable. Now he gives them another one. And we have to acknowledge that he is talking directly to them, especially with this parable. Now, before I get emails that say, hey, Jason, what are you saying? This, uh, this scripture is not for us? No, no, no. We have to understand that we have to read it in, our, in its correct context. In the original audience and how the original audience would receive it, that's called audience relevance. And then we can then pull the kingdom principles out of it to apply to our life. And sometimes there are prophecies in the Bible that were for a future date, but not our future date. We have to understand that. I hope, I hope you get that. If you get that, reach out to me, say yes in the chat, but I hope that makes sense. Because what we're reading is Jesus really approaching the religious leaders with this parable. And I know it took a few minutes to tee that up, but I think this is important. So I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to try to keep us as close to our time today. Uh, but this is a, a fairly lengthy parable and then a description of the parable. And this is the parable of the landowner found in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 23. Okay. So Jesus says to them, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug it, a wine press in it. He built a watchtower and he rented it. He rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. All right, so let's take a look at this. 
the parables, remember, use stories that will present real-world situations to describe kingdom principles, right? Or, or describe what is happening, prophecies, things like that. Understand that it is using the imperfect to describe the perfect. It was just like when we studied the 99, right? The 99 and the 1. It says that the shepherd left the 99 to go find the 1. Well, when we understand that the shepherd, being Jesus, is omnipresent, he doesn't leave anybody to go to anybody. He's with everybody all the time. But it's how we understand that God seeks the hearts of all people, right? So we have to acknowledge that many of the parables are the imperfect describing the perfect. So in this case, the landowner is God, and it says that God left for a time. Now, we can equate that to the separation between God and man, which was the old covenant, Right, They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them like you and I do today. So we can equate it to that. But I just want to point that out because that's going to be important as we, as we study this. Okay? So let's uh, continue. So the, the landowner, okay, I also want to point out, it says that, he, that the landowner planted a, a vineyard, put a wall around it, built a wine press. Basically, God has supplied everything that we would need, okay? He supplied everything that we would need, and then he put it in the trust of some people. And those people, what, were Israel over time, right? It started with the covenant, well, I mean, all started Adam and Eve, but we're talking about Israel, the covenant with Abraham, which has continued through this time. And the religious leaders that Jesus are talking to imagine that they are the ones that have the responsibility to share Yahweh with the world. Okay, so now that we've built that foundation, let's look at this. So it says that God, it says that the landowner, right, at the harvest time approached and he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. The tenants seized the servants they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned the third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them as the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Okay, so the landowner, again, provides everything, and the buildup toward the harvest time Many messengers are sent, what? To reap the harvest. What is the harvest, right? The harvest is God's people coming to him and dwelling with him, right? What are we talking about here? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, all of the prophets that were sent to Israel. Some of them lived full lives, but many of them were persecuted, and ultimately killed, okay? They were persecuted and killed. And in another part of Scripture here, <clears throat> what does Jesus say? He says, this generation, not this, not this one that we're in, the one he's talking to, that generation would have the blood of the apostles and the prophets on them, the guilt of all of that, right? So th this is in line with that, okay? So, okay, so, the Jesus 
I'm sorry, the landowner here sends his servants and then they're all beaten, killed, rejected, right? And last of all, he sends his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. So now I just want to point out here, obviously the son in this parable is Jesus, right? All these prophets of the past have tried to tell them about the transition of the covenants, about the new covenant that God is looking to establish. And ultimately the son is sent. Now you can read that and say, you know, the landowner says, they'll respect my son, won't they? As if God is surprised. Look, God is not surprised that Jesus was rejected. Okay. So this is an example of the imperfect describing the perfect. God is omniscient, right? He knows everything. But, and how do we know that, right? How do we know that? Because he predicted all this through the prophets anyway. He talked about, especially in Isaiah, how what? The Messiah, when he comes, would have to suffer death, would have to suffer scorn, would have to suffer at the hands of people, right? They would be bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we will be healed. So this is all known by God and should have been known by the people especially the scribes that knew and read Isaiah in the synagogues every single Sabbath, right? Let's continue reading. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him in the vineyard and called him and killed him. I'm sorry. Even with my glasses, I'm trying to read it here. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to the tenants? So he presents that even the son is to be killed or was killed. What is he talking about? It's quite obvious, I I would think. He's talking about the crucifixion that is about to come up just a couple days from what we're reading right now. And you think they would get it. So he asked them, what should the owner, landowner, do to those who killed not only the messengers, but also killed the owner's son himself. Okay, let's continue. So, so now they, the religious leaders, have to answer this question. And how do they answer it? It's a little bit bigger. They answer, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Oh, wow. Did they just prophesy over their own life? Sure enough. It's almost like they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Why? Because they don't have ears to hear. Now, you and I have the benefit of being 2,000 years later and being able to get together like this and teach it, teach it out. Let's continue. So Jesus says to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has come become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What is he doing? He's quoting the messianic prophecy out of Psalm 118, saying that the builders have rejected the cornerstone. Now, if you know anything about the, a cornerstone in building, it is more than just a stone. 
It is the pivotal point. It is the first stone set to the foundation that all other stones are laid upon, right? And the builders in this prophecy reject the cornerstone. What is this? He's pointing exactly out, pointing them out to them, even though whether they get it or not right now, they are the builders. The builders, what, are responsible for building. Those who were responsible for advancing the kingdom of God, who, for, imagine, what does a builder do? A builder looks at the plans of, an, of the architect and then ultimately does the work to lay out those plans. God has a plan for the earth. These Pharisees and Sadducees were responsible. They were the builders. You know what? They weren't working out God's plan. So we see the relation here. And here, they're starting to get it. They're going to get it. Let's read. And well, they get it now because Jesus is going to tell them flat out. He's going to hit them square between the eyes here and say, therefore, I tell you, right? He gives the cornerstone. He's showing them that this is a fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy of Psalm 118. He says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. This is pretty direct. And given to people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls on will be crushed. What is he talking about? If you rebel against the cornerstone, you will be humbled. You will suffer loss. Now, this goes directly to, as, as we kind of wrap up here, and I'm open to questions on the chat or off the chat here, or if you're listening on the live stream, reach out to me. Understand that I've mentioned this date many times leading up to this. It's going to be more important now than ever for us to talk about this. In 70 AD, Rome came down and destroyed the temple. Not one stone, we'll get to Matthew 24, was left unturned, destroyed the temple from top to bottom. Anyone who clung to this temple in 70 AD and wanted to hang on to the old covenant and stayed there, even though Jesus, as we'll read, says, when you see these things happen, get away from there. They all suffered loss. There was never an animal sacrifice. There was never a temple worship experience like there was then ever again after that. That was the sign of the end of the age. And that was the sign that the chief priests that were so haughty, high, and mighty were, first of all, they were killed there for, in great multitudes. But the old covenant was done, like done, done. And I hope that makes sense. And that's what we're teeing up here, okay? He says directly to them. So the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Now, we can't apply this to us. Because we see how the conversation goes here. We have to read this properly. Now, we can pull from this, and I promise before we leave here in, in just a minute, I will, you know, apply this to us because I know that's what we like. But verse 45, let's finish this out. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the, Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. If you needed any more proof that this is about the Pharisees. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the crowd held that he was a prophet. Once again, afraid 
of the reactions of other people. And they heard this. They didn't heed it, but the, it escalated. They want to arrest him. And they ultimately do. We know that. So let's wrap this up here. Jesus is being very clear in this parable that those who rebel will suffer judgment. Now, before we get all into a panic on that, because I know we don't like that type of terminology, I want to point out that, that even in the parable, God shows that he was patient. Not only did he send one servant, one prophet, which prophet was killed, he kept sending messengers, and they kept killing messengers. God is a patient God that will give us many, many opportunities to steer back to him. So my prayer for you is that you stop killing the messengers in your life, the things that God is sending to you to help you to turn back to him. Because if we keep ignoring it, again, although this parable isn't to us, we can pull from it that if we don't heed God's warning, we are going to suffer loss in our life. And loss, many times, judgment, in many cases, is God ultimately allowing us to reap what we sow. If you're doing something, if I'm doing something that I know is destructive to my life, eventually what needs to what needs to happen is that thing has to hurt me. Now, God's grace can shield me from that for a period of time, but ultimately that may be the one thing that, that allows, it's, it's like the, the kid, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove. Ultimately, sometimes the kid touches the stove and gets burnt. And you know what? That's how we learn. So God's not looking to destroy your life, but sometimes we reap what we sow in areas because that's how we learn. Now, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we don't have to get to that point. Because remember, mercy is about saving us from that. But you and I have free will. Just like these Pharisees had had the free will to have ears to hear and listen and, and really receive him as Messiah. But ultimately, they would suffer destruction. But God's plan for you is not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Your, your destruction is not in your future. Just receive that right now. Receive that right now. Destruction is not in your future. God loves you. And we read this because this is going to build up over the next few days. And thanks for spending a couple extra minutes with me today. We're going to see how this escalates and Jesus continues to tell parables to them, trying to get them to understand that rejection of him is going to lead to loss. Amen. We're, we're in, getting into a very intense part of scripture. It's the, it's the week leading up to the crucifixion. But what we can take peace with today is that both the crucifixion and the resurrection has already happened. Pentecost has already happened. What happened there? That's when we received the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. So my final message for you in the minutes that we have here is that we live in a, an age of victory. We live in an age where kingdom authority is within us, which means it can be all around us. So we don't need to despair no matter what's going on outside, we have Jesus. The sacrifice is already done. The debt has been paid. 
The debt has been paid. When he was on that cross and he said, it is finished, it was finished. And then what we're going to read as we go through even the book of Acts is how that all really worked itself out in that generation that we'll talk about in Matthew 24. But I love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you that we can study and study deeply, Lord God. Help us to draw closer to you, Father. And if there's anything in our life that we're kind of letting live there that's being destructive to us, let's just put that away. Let's just trust you, Lord God, so that we can operate every day. And we can be your love, and we can know your love. In Jesus' mighty name, I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church, Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. This is the 1% Christian, 100 starts with one. Go out and walk in his victory and do something for Christ's sake. Amen. Love you guys. Have an awesome day.